Hello everyone and welcome to episode three of Keep Calm and Carry On, a podcast series on issues and reputation brought to you by the AMJ and Hort Innovation. In this third podcast of the series, we welcome Rachel McKenzie from Berries Australia in conversation with Patrick. Over the next 20 minutes, Rachel will take you on a journey of crisis, recovery and reputation management for the Australian strawberry industry. So, Rachel McKenzie, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. So, Rachel, tell us, before we launch into the uh, the infamous or the challenging strawberry issue that occurred, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you what do, you do and um, what, why are you talking to us today? So, my name is Rachel McKenzie, as you said, and currently I am the Executive Director of Berries Australia, which is the peak industry body for the strawberry raspberry and blackberry and blueberry associations. Um, so we represent all berry growers across all commodities across all of Australia. Um, Berries Australia has only existed since 2018 and I've been in the role since 2019 in February, so three years now. Um, prior to that, I was actually the chief advocate at Growcom. Many of you will be familiar with Growcom. It's the, um, it used to be Queensland Fruit and Veggie Growers, been Growcom for quite a while now. Um, and my role was to advocate on behalf of Queensland growers. So um, that was actually where I was when the needle tampering incident occurred. So the needle tampering. So a lot of us watch from afar with trepidation, can I just say, and I think it's we're, we're really fascinated to hear your story because you you really were the canary in the coal mine and from big respect about an issue that no one really saw coming. So I guess to start, what happened? You know, where did what, what were you doing the day you learned about it? And tell us the war story. Sure. So as I said, I was the chief advocate at Growcom and we had a pretty close relationship with the Queensland Strawberry Growers Association. And um I was sitting in a, a taxi, I think it was in Canberra, and I got a text from the industry development officer who just sent me a message going, oh, dear, except she didn't say dear. She used a more profane word, but um, and sent me a link to the first article, and I was like, oh, that doesn't look good. And I was actually at a National Farmers Federation Hawk Council dinner, and that was actually quite good because I sort of raised it with a few people and they're like, oh, gosh, that doesn't sound great. Um, and we just sort of had a bit of a chat and, and I kind of thought, oh, well, when I get back to Brisbane, I'll, you know, contact Jen and see what we can do. And the next day I woke up and it was just everywhere. It was every story. It was the number one story on every news outlet. It was I had, like, missed calls on my phone. I spoke to Jen, who was, you know, a one-man band industry development officer on the Sunshine Coast, and she had something like 50 missed calls from the media. The growers were just going, oh, my God, what do we do? It just went absolutely kaboom and in a way that that absolutely nobody could predict. And I think it, it's such a, a modern phenomenon because one of the things I found out subsequently was that um, needle tampering is quite common, not necessarily in fruit, but it's common in the fresh produce or in the supply chain. Um, the difference about this was the fact that it was um, announced on social media and then in, you know, ways that we don't even really understand, it went viral. So I think you know, whilst the incident itself was was a genuine incident, 
um, it was the way that it then um, manifested through the media and how everyone responded to it that that kind of took it from being an incident to being a crisis. I take us. So it's interesting you said that. So you had the heads up on the Friday and you had the, the horticulture dinner on the Friday night. And by Saturday, oh, so it wasn't a Friday, just some clear. It was, it was like a Wednesday, but that's Wednesday. okay. Yeah. But by the next day, it was gone. So it was. So you're talking yeah. 24 hours. Absolutely, and I, oh, less than. And I think mm. one of the, you know, there are many, many learnings, but um, I guess it was really disappointing for us as industry to find out through the media. Um, and I think that that is one of the learnings that a lot of people have made that, you know, we actually need to have. So the Queensland Department of Primary Industries and Queensland Health pulled together a meeting the next day, but by that stage it, it was gone. There was no, you know, the horse had well and truly bolted. And unfortunately, Jen, you know, she'd been asked a question and didn't have any experience and and. Um, she said, oh, it, it might have been a disgruntled worker. So then that became part of the narrative and fed the fuel and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think there were certainly missteps from industry, but we were put at an enormous disadvantage because we found out through the media. Mm. And um, so I think, you know, an absolute early upfront lesson for everyone, and this has certainly been something that we've been raising with government and, you know, the departments of health and the retailers is that they need to let industry know because the media calls us and so, you know, the the model that they used was that they would um, inform the supplier if there was an issue Um, and that's fine, that's the right thing to do, but they should also inform the peak industry body or the industry spokespeople because in that particular instance the supplier didn't tell us and you know it the conversations had first started two days before that media story and we were just completely on the back foot and I think mm-hmm. you know now we would have a much better we have we have those relationships within the health department within Queensland government within the retailers that we didn't have beforehand um, so when these things continue to crop up now and then which they do um you know they call us and we go okay what are we going to do okay I don't think this one's a real one that's all just and we all have a very um similar strategy I think the health department also reacted in a way that exacerbated the situation in that they said you know you know throw out all your strawberries and um you know you had the premier there and then as soon as that sort of message came through that really kind of exacerbated the situation even though we were like well can't you just chop them up which then became the message but again that was days later so by that stage the story had escalated to such a significant degree that um Coles and then Aldi made the decision to stop um stop buying strawberries and that was the thing that killed the industry Mm. because that just suddenly meant that you had 800,000 punnets a day coming through and, you know, a significant proportion of this, the um, supply chain was not, not taking those strawberries. So then you had the stories around dump strawberries and all of that kind of stuff, which, you know, then created its own momentum. So it was, it was multiple stories that sort of then each had their own life and, um, you know, had you had people made a different decision earlier on, then we would have had potentially a very different outcome. And so I think what 
I'd like to say to the mushroom industry is, you know, you can never, there's a difference between crisis management and risk management. Risk management is about identifying your risks and looking and putting in place all your mitigation strategies. And, and it's a really legitimate thing to do. But crisis management is about saying, what do we do if we have the thing that we, we can't predict? Because nobody, you know, before that crisis would have basically said that the entire strawberry industry would have been brought to its knees by this particular incident. And if you look at the incidents itself, I think it was something like 18 punnets of strawberries were tampered with in the original incident. Um, there were hundreds of um, or certainly a number of copycats, so other people were sticking needles in strawberries. Now, whether they were sticking them in somewhere in the supply chain or when they got them home, I mean, there were genuinely needles there. Um, and then there was a whole heap of hoaxes and stuff put on Facebook for kids to get attention and, um, mm. you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, the I guess it's the consequences of the decisions that were made far exceeded the level of risk from mm. the original incident. And I guess, you know, and I think to be fair, I think government and, you know, the health departments have certainly learned from this, the retailers, we've all learned a lot because, um, yeah, it just it manifested in a way that we just couldn't predict and we probably could have um, averted had different approaches been taken. So, Rachel, we've got um, and um, the mushroom industry has got a, you know, a, a team of AMSAFE people ready to go to try to swing into action when we have an uncertain thing like that. And um, it is really important, particularly when something breaks and it breaks rapidly, that you can put out a message in the market that is certain. So the certain, the lack of certainty is the often the challenge. And if there's uncertainty, it feeds on itself. And I think you've sort of explained really interestingly about um, what has happened with the strawberry industries over those first couple of days. Do you think that if we had said really rapidly, chop up your strawberries and they're fine within the first 24 hours, because you got you moved that messaging quite quickly, do you think you could have what, what damage do you think might have what might have been averted? Or if you were if you had the the um how could I say it, the 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 processes but also the knowledge to be able to get on the front foot really quickly? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing would have been that um ideally you would have not had that message ever to chop up, to throw out your strawberries put out there in the first place because you have the pre-existing relationships with the right people in the bureaucracy so that they know who to call. Now, to be fair, as I said, Berries Australia has only existed since 2018. Strawberries Australia at that time was pretty dysfunctional. And as I said, poor Jen was operating by herself. Mm. So that's how I got involved was because she just said, we don't have any media people. I've got 200 missed calls on my phone from journalists. My growers are going crazy. Can you please help me? Um, and so we made a decision that we would, as Growcom, we would put in a lot of resources to support Jen. And so that gave her a greater number of, of people. But I think even before that, you know, it would have been, and I think they would now, and they certainly did in COVID, is they identify who in the industry groups are actually the right people to speak to when you have that conversation first before 
the health department goes out in the media because the health mm. department were the ones who went out in the media saying, Chop, throw your strawberries away. Yeah. So it's yeah. really hard to come back from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the, and to be fair, again, they they owned it. So there's the health department. So Jennifer, Jeanette Young, who many of you would now be familiar with as the ex-Queensland <laughs> Chief Health Officer, um, the Minister for Agriculture and someone very high up in the police force actually came up and fronted the Queensland strawberry growers. So there were 60 strawberry growers, a whole heap of uniformed police in the back of the room and actually took their questions and listened to them. And they owned, they owned the fact that they probably did a misstep at mm. the beginning. So I think in terms of coming back to your question, I've been a bit circular, I think, but I think there's a step before it's, and it's what you do now. And what you do now is you build those relationships yep. and you um, identify who you need to be connected with. Now, again, if it's something that no one's ever predicted, that's going to be really hard. But yeah. I think if you have a really robust relationship with the departments of primary industries in each state and you have a robust relationship with the departments of health, at least that they know who you are, um, and so that if something like this happens, um, you are in the first conversation. And I think having conversations with the retailers as well is really important because they were in the first conversation, but we weren't. Mm. Um, now, I think then we had sort of various, we had meetings on meeting, you know, crisis meeting after crisis meeting after crisis meeting, but the problem was in a lot of ways the horse had already bolted. Yeah. And I think the thing about messaging is is a tricky one. So one of the things we did um, was we engaged a crisis communications manager. Now, um, you don't necessarily want to be at the point to do that, but I think it is, you know, I think it's a it's expensive, but it's money well spent. And they then, um, and the fellow we used was a guy called Sean Dignam, who I think has worked with the mushroom industry before. And Sean, you know, he really guided us through exactly because he watching, you know, he was watching the media and, you know, sort of almost temperature checking and then telling us what the next steps were in, in terms of the, the public message. But the first thing was tell your growers not to talk to anyone. Yes. Identify a spokesperson and give them a clear message. Now, the message might be, we are working with authorities to investigate the situation. That might have to be the first message. Or chop them up, don't chuck them out. Yep. But any, you, and you want to be having the same message from the health authorities, the same message from everyone, and then it, there's less story in there. The media starts getting bored because they're not getting any traction. Yep, um, so... I was just going to say, jump in, Rachel, and say guiding principle number two or three for us is all about coordination, that exact thing, to have the, yeah. the industry, the, the government, growers, whoever, all need to be saying the same thing. Um, and if there's, uh, if you have different people that saying different things, you get an uncertain message and then you get in further momentum. Correct, and you feed the beast. Yeah. Um, and I think the... Um, yeah, you have one message. And I think they're really, particularly at the beginning, one spokesperson. So basically you just say to the growers, don't talk for now. If the media calls you, just direct, direct them to me. Because mm -hmm. I think one of the things is even if you have, you know, sometimes, and I have to be careful here, but, some, you know, some of our growers were really trying to help, mm -hmm. but unfortunately they weren't. <laughs> 
they were not helping. <laughs> um, and because really what you want to do is not, the first message is not about explaining the situation necessarily. It's about moving the focus somewhere else, mm. making it boring, reducing that viral kind of um, communication and sort of having a bit of a nothing to see here. In some ways, that's the ideal circumstance in this kind of crisis. Now, every crisis is different, and I think that there's different approaches that you have to take. But um, as I said here, the, the actual risk compared to the perceived risk was extremely divergent. The other thing around messaging, which I think is really important, is, is language. And so one of the frustrations we had with the health, again, with the government, was they kept calling it contamination. Yes. Strawberry yes. contamination. And the crisis guy said, you've got to stop them from, it's not contamination. Contamination is, you know, putting poison or something yeah. in it's there. It's, yeah. it's tampering, which is a different thing. Mm. Um, and so I think one of the lessons was that language was really important, you know, making sure that you get that language really clear um, and um, have a shared understanding of what, what the language you want to use, how you want to describe this, describe the scenario. I think the other thing that was obvious, and it's not necessarily something that we can fix, but I think it's worth understanding, is that in these kind of scenarios, every state operates really differently, and that was extremely frustrating. So we kind of had the Queens, the Queensland guys, we got them kind of in the right place and saying the right thing, and then New South Wales went completely rogue, um, and it was actually officers within the New South Wales police forces who mm. were reporting on unverified cases that had been reported on social media that then actually provided the momentum that caused Coles to say this is too much of a risk for us. Because the other thing is it all happens really rapidly. So you don't have time to be going, is this true, is this not true? You have to rely on the other players in the system to um, be doing that for you and and they weren't. They were, you know, it got to the point where I had to ring someone in New South Wales Farmers and say, you need to speak to your minister and tell them to speak to the police minister to get their people to shut up yeah. because yeah. they are yeah. causing extreme damage by, their, by going off-piste it became such an issue, it became a political issue. And so then it was like politicians crawling over one another to say they supported the strawberry industry and eating strawberries and, and that was great and kind of them, but I wish they'd asked us in the first place because actually what we wanted people to do was shut up. And, look, I think it's important to reflect on the fact that I actually think bizarrely that this incident um contributed to some of the positive ways that COVID was responded to. Mm. Mm. So I think that in Queensland, for example, I already had all the relationships with Queensland Health, all of that kind of stuff. So when it came together, Queensland basically had primary industries, health, police, all in the same room. And that's because we'd had that practice with, um, with the strawberry stuff. And it happened really quickly and they pulled us together and, you know, from day, day dot we were in step in terms of the communication. New South Wales was a bit more chaotic because I think, you know, agriculture is kind of considered like a little thing that the nationals do. And then um, and the health department was hard to get there. But, again, I think even things like national cabinet and all of those things, I'm not saying that the strawberry tampering incident was the thing, but I certainly think it contributed 
to the the chief health officers actually um, saying we have to, we have to talk to people, we have to get people around a table, and we have to um, change the way we manage these things. Yeah. So Rachel, I think and I think that's a really interesting point, given the fact that there is a layers of stakeholders across government, whether it's police, agriculture, whoever, um, health, um, and we are better now or as a national system, I think, to, because of COVID and because of some of the hard work that you guys have done at Berries to be able to respond and protect the industry if the industry knows about it and if they're coordinated and if they're operating together. So I think there is, whilst this is a war story, I think there's some real positivity that the mushroom growers can take from all that work that's gone on and this the, the, and this sort of coal-faced type response that's happened due to COVID due to berries and due to other issues. And look the way Japanese encephalitis has been managed in pigs at the moment. It's very more, a lot more coordinated. Absolutely. Mm. And I think the other thing, you know, to give some credit to the mushroom industry, we actually use their poster, which is very simple. It basically says, and we have we have a 1300 number now. We pay for it. Nobody ever uses it much. But, you know, and all our growers, they know, and that's the thing, is train your growers. Train your growers that if they see a crisis or if the media rings them, pick up the phone you don't no, and I think one of the things is you don't owe the media anything and you do not have to answer their questions and if they come onto your property uninvited they are trespassing so you, you've got all the mushroom growers listening to you here what's your foundation key message or key action point that you'd like to hear you'd, you'd like to say to a grower going, going through what you went through so saying to the growers I think first of all um, work with your peak industry body. They are the, the mechanisms through which you will get through this. So first of all, come to them for support. And I think part of that, your role as a grower is to be alert to things that are different, things that are a bit unusual that could potentially turn into a crisis. Let your peak industry body know have a chat to them and then at least if something does continue, they've got um, information to go on with. So I think that's, as a grower, that's step one. Step two is if something does hit and suddenly the media is all over the place, just be quiet and, again, speak to your peak industry body and I and they will guide you through what the next steps are. And probably in, in a crisis like the one we had, the first step was to get it off the front page, which meant that we wanted to have a very simple, clear and boring message that was consistent across everybody who was being asked because what we wanted was to get it off the front page because that was what was generating all of the stuff in the background with the social media, et cetera. And then I suppose the other thing is, is if you've got contacts in government or in media or any of those places, it's really good to, again, let your peak industry body know so that they can, you know, everybody can bring their strengths to the table. Um, and then if you are in requested to be a spokesperson, you know, um, take the opportunity. You have a good story to tell. As a producer of food, you are a trusted member of society and people want to hear about you and what you do and they want to support you. So give them the tools and um, opportunity to do so. So to every grower out there, let me just finish by giving you the, the clear message on the AMSAFE number. Please give us a call. We are there to assist you. The AMSAFE hotline is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and call us 0457 440 298.
We're there to support you. We're there to support the industry. So please give us a ring if you've got any concerns.